As entrepreneurs, as we start having success, we've got to provide some leadership. We have to inspire our team, our clients, our customers to really make a difference. And along the way, we've got to be innovative as well. I mean, there's a lot to be done. And you wouldn't be watching this podcast or listening to it unless you wanted to accelerate success. And my commitment to you is to bring remarkable individuals, fellow entrepreneurs who are out there making a difference. And today I've got a, a fantastic guest. He is an author, a speaker, a podcaster, he is and a professor. He's totally focused on leadership and innovation. And he's got some insights that are going to help you make an even bigger difference. Stay tuned. You do not want to miss this. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep. Think bold. Drive hard. Watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com. I'm so excited to have you here. You and I met at Jason Gennard's uh, Mastermind Talk. And you were always surrounded by all the gurus out there. They wanted to get your insights. Uh, and I also saw you were a pretty good partier there as well. I still remember the scene of the road, but we won't go there along the way. But, you know, one of the things that since we met, I, I, w I was very impressed. I picked up your books, bought both of them, uh, almost done with one. And, and I, I wanted to share you with our audience. So first of all, thank you for making the time. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It was it was awesome to meet you there there as well. I wish they would have had a robe for you too. But, <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe not a big enough one for me. I don't know yeah, what it was. It was <laughs> I, I maintain that I was cold, and that was better than a coat. So yeah, uh, and, it, and it was cold. We won't. It was one of those outdoor parties that. Uh, only California can have that is really freezing. But uh, in any event, a fantastic event. If you uh, enjoy Masterminds, uh, Jason does a fantastic job with Mastermind Talks. Uh, but what I want to come back to, David, one of the things that um, DC, yeah, I love, I'm, I'm very interested, and in, you know, my fellow entrepreneurs are as well, is on this leadership stuff. I mean, I, many of us became accidental CEOs and and you picked out two of the toughest areas to be really focused on in your studies and sharing, you know, this leadership stuff and this innovation and, and, you know, where do good ideas go and how do we actually make them work and leverage and all this. And, you know, give me a little background of how you got to being this, you know, on the platform, Ted talks and all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it is that, I, I, I hate to, to say a cliche, but is that kind of follow your bliss idea, right? I mean, I, where I'm laser focused is on facilitating the transfer of good ideas. And leadership and innovation are two areas where there's a lot of people talking and not everyone's ideas are backed by research or backed by provable models. And that was really my goal was to bring those through. I, I mean, if you go back to like 14 years old, this was never the plan. The plan was actually to be a writer, to be a novelist, right? To be your sort of John Steinbeck or Ernest Hemingway. Although those things didn't really work out for them. And that's what I sort of uh, They didn't have that great a life, you know, yeah, type. Yeah, exactly. 
And so, um, you know, that brought with it the, the desire to figure out like, okay, well, what do you want to write about? And where I got really fascinated was around the time that I was at university, that was when your Malcolm Gladwells and your Dan Pinks and Chip and Dan Heaths of the world began writing. And that sort of as a genre really, really appealed to me because it did that thing. It, it brought together that sort of practitioner and that uh, scientist or that empirical academic model, or as I like to say now, uh, my goal is to tear down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. And this style of writing really does that, blends the practice with the research behind it. And so that's been the goal kind of in everything that I do, whether it's writing or speaking or the podcast or, or all of that. That's been my biggest thing. There's a lot of leaders out there that I think are, are really, really hungry for good ideas, provable, provable models that you don't really know if it'll work for your company anyway. So that's really been the goal. It's, it's so interesting, uh, David, because what, what happens is that, you know, I know I am hungry for information in this lifelong learning. I mean, that's why we both met at this uh, mastermind talks. And, and so many of our fellow entrepreneurs are in CEO groups or listening to you know podcasts and videos and shows like this and yours and we'll come to that later but you know what i want to go lessons learned because you've done a lot of this empirical research you've had the privilege of working with so many fellow business owners entrepreneurs anecdotally and and one of the things that you talk a lot about is this innovation and great ideas and you know this concept i mean you know, that the world is waiting for these great ideas. Why don't you, what are you talking about in your books and your speeches about this? Yeah, so in, in my first book, I, I call this, the first book's called The Myths of Creativity, and this is one of the biggest myths. I call it the, the mousetrap myth. You know, there's that saying, if you, you just need to build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. And it, it's, a, it's a fun saying, but it's total rubbish. Right. I mean, history, especially entrepreneurial business history, is filled with great ideas that got rejected at first. You know, and we laugh about some of them. Kodak invented the digital camera that led to its own bankruptcy. Right. And Xerox invented the personal computer. And the truth is, these aren't sort of one off ideas. In fact, most often our reaction to new and original ideas are to reject them. This is a bias that we all sort of have because for, for an idea to be innovative, for it to be that thing that the, the market will see as a disruptor, it needs to be new and it needs to be useful at the same time. Right? And the challenge is if something is new, it departs from status quo, it departs from past experiences. But if, it's, if we're going to judge it as useful, well, then what do we have to go on? We have status quo, we have past experiences, we have what the market's doing now. So we're simultaneously asking something to depart from our experience, but we need to use our experience to judge it. And as humans, we're terrible at this. And I think in a sense, this is good news, bad news for entrepreneurs. The, the good news is when you experience that rejection, like that's just another step in the process. Everybody's been there. Walt Disney tried 300 something times to get a loan from Disney World. We've all been there with the idea that people don't get your ideas. You know, so that's the good news. The, the bad news is that as you scale, this is also a problem that you're going to experience. And because this is a bias that we all have, we all kind of need an innovators anonymous, right? Like, hi, my name is Dave. I have a bias against great ideas. And there are ways to mitigate that. And that's really what a lot of the smart leaders do is figure out how can they mitigate these, uh, this bias so they can have more of these great ideas. Let's go because we're saying there's two parts to this, David, and yeah. I, I totally agree. And I want to take the first one as entrepreneurs. I mean, uh, there have been plenty of times like, oh, the aha moment, I got it. Right. And on occasion, I've actually had, I mean, one company I did extremely well with that idea. But 
There were more than one idea. And, uh, you know, how, how do we go through as leaders where we get so excited? I mean, sometimes I think it's easy as entrepreneur to be a manic depressive. And I've talked with a lot of the psychiatrists along the way. We've had a few. Ned Hollowell I interviewed here, and he said, no, you're not a manic depressive. You're just normal. You know, entrepreneurs, right. we have... We're like Ferraris on the engine, but bicycle brakes, and it just causes accidents along the way. But how do, how do we create, uh, you know, take these when we think we have a great idea and, you know, that bias as, you know, it's our idea and we want to, we can waste, uh, you know, just so much energy and really be disruptive to our own companies. But it may be that great idea, you know, we're, we're struggling with, David. How do we deal with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely hear you. There's a lot of times where we're super excited about our thing and we're just frustrated because other people can't get it. And this happens often. And there's, there are a bunch of different people who study sort of how ideas move through populations. What are the characteristics of ideas that spread really, really quickly? And we've learned a couple things about that. And I like to think of them as sort of the litmus test for, yeah, you're excited about your idea, but can you get other people excited by your idea? And there's a couple criteria to meet. Like, uh, the, the first is trial ability, meaning sort of how low is the bar for people to try it, right? If it's, if it's really expensive to try it, if you're asking people to buy into your idea, but it costs, you know, think about like the Segway scooter. Oh, a great idea, but it costs like $2,000 to try it. Uh, I'm not really going to, very few people are going to take that risk. But if there's some way we can lower that bar, I mean, we know this from marketing way back. This is why we invented the free trial and the money back guarantee. But there are other ways that people still see psychological costs to switching their life to adopt this new idea. So very low bar to try it. We call that trial ability. The other thing that we need a lot of times is observability, right? So the people who do try it have to be able to see a very easy to observe change as a result of adopting that new idea, buying that new product, whatever it is. And more importantly, sometimes this is called shareability, people need to see that that change happened. Right. So think about the last sort of product or service you really bought into or think about like we just came from Mastermind Talks, right, which is this great event. And people when they when it's your first time, which was my first time, mm -hmm. everybody asked me, you know, so why did you why did you come here? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. and, and basically, I mean, my response was exactly that shareability, observability. It was I know a lot of great entrepreneurs who have been through this and said it really, really helped them. So I figured I would try it. Right. And that was really mm -hmm. that's how ideas spread. We see somebody get that result. And then because of that, we're more willing to try it as those people share it with us. So you need a really low bar. You need to be able to observe a really big change once that's happened. And you need people to be able to sort of share it easily. If you have low bar to try it, easy change, but it happens kind of in a closet and nobody sees it, your idea is kind of dead in the water in a market. And by the way, this is the same thing if you're trying to sell the idea to investors or to, um, to other partners, et cetera. This is where like ideas like minimum viable product or minimum viable prototype become so useful because again, they're lowering the trial ability before we go forward with a huge initiative. We're just going to prototype and test it and we're going to learn things from that. So those are the things that we really need to do. And th the challenge is we mm -hmm. have to take that alongside our idea as leaders, that Ferrari engine of just wanting to ram the change through immediately. That doesn't help us move it through the population we're trying to well, get. Well, what I, I love about this, David, I mean that you know, every one of the things you're talking about, the low bar to try, you know, getting results right away, the shareability, the minimum viable product type or prototype, 
we're getting the feedback from the marketplace. I mean, the, you know, the marketplace is telling us because there's there's so many people will give us advice whether it's a good idea or not. I mean, your mom doesn't really count unless she's going to write a check for this. Exactly. And, and we got to have check writers along the way, and that's what you're measuring. But you know, what, I want to take it a little step further because we did one side, and you brought up two sides because. You know, then, you know, you start scaling up and I'm, you know, we've got a number of businesses. I got a bunch of people working with me and they're really talented fellow entrepreneurs and they're bringing ideas to me, David, and, and they're not my ideas. <laughs> you know, uh, how, how do we, you know, I mean, and they're, they're just as passionate and I'm, I am sure there's some gold nuggets there, but, you know, sorting through and all this, you know, how, how do they, how do you recommend, uh, these business owners, our fellow entrepreneurs deal with this. Yeah, so this is the challenge of leadership, right? Once you get to a position where you're leading others because of your entrepreneurial venture, one of the things you're gonna be asked to do is make decisions. You've gotta decide what ideas do we try and what ideas get killed. And the challenge is you can end up killing great ideas because we've got this bias. People are coming to you with a new idea, it departs from your line of thinking and your status quo, and they're trusting that you'll use uh, your best judgment, but what are you going to use? You're going to use your past experience. So the the one question I teach a lot of leaders or I train a lot of leaders to, to ask, I stole it actually. Uh, I stole it from Roger Martin at Rob. We do not steal, we repurpose. We here. repurpose, uh, okay. right, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's a myth in the midst of creativity called the originality myth, which speaks right. to that. It's a combination of pre-existing ideas. So um, Roger Martin from the University of Toronto, Rotman School of Management, has this great question when he's deciding around strategy. And I think it's the same great question when we're deciding around an idea, which is when someone comes to you and they're very excited, they've got that Ferrari engine type thing you were talking about. Your job is simultaneously to weigh the idea but not kill their enthusiasm. Right. And how you respond, you, I mean, if you respond wholeheartedly, that's great. But you've now committed to trying the thing the way they wanted it to. And if you respond hesitantly, you might kill their passion. So your challenge is you've got to figure out how to respond. And the way that I, I tell a lot of people to respond is with a simple question. What would have to be true for this idea to be worthwhile or for this idea to be valuable or for this idea to work? What would have to be true for this idea to work? Because what you then do is you encourage them, look, I know you're excited, but let's think about what things in the market, what things in our organization, what, what context has to be true in order for this to work. You're also giving them sort of a checklist of ways they can test their idea. If they come up with four or five things that have to be true about the market or about the company or about a vendor in order for their idea to be able to be implemented, well, we can go test those things. We can go look and see if those things are true. And then if they are, we've crossed that initial bar of, okay, maybe this is worth trying out. This is worth doing the prototype in. And again, you're not killing their enthusiasm by saying, well, I don't know if this is going to work because of X statement. You're asking them, hey, what would have to be true for this to work? And you're letting them help you figure out how to test the idea. Yeah, no, I, I love that because it's it's you know it's so easy for us to go ahead and you know take responsibility. Okay, well I'll take it from here and right. let it die, kill off them, or at the same time, you know feel the pressure. Hey, it is a good idea, but I don't have quite the passion or the bandwidth. You know they do, and you know what would have to be true for this idea to work? I mean, you know tell me, <laughs> go out and find it and let's, you know, if we can, and then we'll test it. And, and what's so great, David, in, in today's world, I mean, it's not that hard to test things like it used to be. I mean, you used to have to spend millions of dollars to go test something. Now, in today's world, it's, it's, it's relatively easy. 
Yeah, one of my favorite uh, companies that I wrote about, um, I, I'm pretty sure it was in Harvard Business Review. Don't don't quote me on this, but is uh, Adobe, and they're a big company, but you know they were once a startup. And they have this thing now that they call a kickbox. It's a little box meant to kickstart ideas. And what it is, is it's um, it's like a notepad. Um, it's a Starbucks gift card for caffeine. It's a, a thing of two different sizes of post-it notes, a couple different markers, and a $1,000 prepaid Visa card. And basically what it is, is an invitation to go prototype your idea. So the, the only requirement for getting one of these kickboxes is you're willing to share the results of your test. Doesn't mean you have to succeed, just you're willing to share your results. And I love that idea for two reasons. One, it's empowering to the employees, yes. But two, like what you said, it also sets the top line cap on how much we're gonna spend, right? By definition, we're only gonna waste $1,000 on this idea if it doesn't work. Truthfully, even if it doesn't work, we're gonna learn stuff that makes probably that investment worthwhile. But that's 2016, uh, that's the, the way we are now, is we can actually find ways to prototype an idea and set that top line limit of, well, it's only $1,000, right? Before, we used to have to spend a million dollar R&D budget just to test one idea. Now, we can give you know, a thousand people a thousand dollars and we're good to go. We've got basically the same idea. Yeah, no, and, and that's, I mean, it really is getting that predetermined kind of, hey, innovation, we're supportive. We want you to you know, try this. This is, uh, uh, Adobe's actually up the road from me. <laughs> I didn't know this. Yeah, okay. so it's there, and they are growing at a pretty good rate too. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's let's go to the next. Where you know one of the things that I find you know, and this is something I'm subject to, and and our fellow business owners and entrepreneurs, you know, you listening here. I mean, I'm sure some of you feel the same thing. Is that you know, if we're leading an organization, we've got to come up with these great ideas, and you know, we've got got it working, and oh, you know, geez, that's only the the the, the even an idea worth executing and that's getting results you know they don't last as long anymore david and the pressure you know for many entrepreneurs is pretty high that they they feel they they've got to keep on you know doing this and you know with everything else going on it boy it's easy to fall on this yeah yeah no i, I think so and, and the truth is a lot of as your business scales, you've got to come to that realization. I, the, the best way I've ever heard it said was by Dane Atkinson. He's the CEO of a company called Sumall out of New York. And his, his line to me, and I put it in, in the new book, was great leaders don't innovate the product, they innovate the factory. In other words, the factory is a metaphor here for kind of any working environment. But they, in other words, they get that their job is no longer to be that frontline person innovating the product, innovating the service, offering, you know, strategically differentiating their job is to look at the whole organization and go, what do my people need in order to do their best work? You know, at a certain point, if, if and I get it, because you started the company, so you feel like you know, you've got the best ideas because you grew it from zero to the, the 20 or uh, 50 or 100 people it is now. But if you didn't need them, you wouldn't have hired them. And so a lot of it is taking that realization that my job now is to take care of them because their job is to take care of our people, our customers, our innovation, et cetera. Your job as the person at the top is to innovate the factory, innovate the organization itself, to get your people what they need, to keep doing all that stuff that you were talking about before. If you don't, you're gonna burn out, like you said, because you can't do it all. Well, and, and I think this is where so many CEOs uh, you know, startups and, you know, small businesses never kind of make it to that next level because they're always chasing that next idea. And if you take that same energy and the innovation becomes the systems 
that you're working mm -hmm. on. It, it, one of the things, it, it just today, again, the technology is pretty easy to work on systems and see the incremental improvements and in some case exponential with the new tools. Uh, you, you could do, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, an individual running hard can do a million dollars of revenue. You know, if they're really talented or have a great idea, maybe about five million of revenue. You know, they're not going to do 10 million. They got to get the systems right. and then you get 20, 100 million. And, and that's where the systems are really working. And we're getting rarefied air because people are, you know, so many of us are just thinking we have to come up with something new. No, we got to really run with what we have and, and put those in place and support our team, as you're saying, David. And, and you know, one of the things that I like, uh, I love about the work that you do that's is so powerful is that you are an observer out there. I mean, you're, you're, you've got your own business sharing these ideas and everything else. You're, I would count you as a fellow entrepreneur, but your business is one of observing and you have a really good mixture from the academic side and the entrepreneurial side. And one of the things, you know, I know, um, you know, so many people, uh, this one I actually have not been guilty of. It's one of the few things because, I taught grad school investment theory and grew up on the financial side and had the privilege of working with the uh, four guys who ended up winning the Nobel Prize in economics in different years. So I have a great respect for the academic community. But I got to tell you, so many of my fellow entrepreneurs, it's like if, if you haven't walked the path in front of me, you, it can't be worthwhile. And, you know, and you write about this, David. How, how do we, you know, help our fellow entrepreneurs really understand that there's some really good ideas on both sides of that wall? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I get it, right? There's there's players and there's coaches, and it's really tempting to say, like, if if you're not, I'm mean, gonna use a, a American rules football analogy, right? I'm a quarterback. If you're not a quarterback, what are you gonna teach me? Well, there are people who are, you know, a thousand feet in the air, looking down on the entire field they've got some things they can share with you, right? And so, and granted, your job is not just listen to them and don't listen to QBs, but your job as the leader is to listen to all of the different perspectives. And that's where, I mean, I come from that, that academic background of, you know, my job is to tell entrepreneurs what other entrepreneurs are doing, right? And then also to pair that with, here's the research in human behavior and in social science, that's why this is a good idea. Right. Your job is as the entrepreneur is to figure out how this applies to your company. And that's it's interesting because it's the number one pushback that I get from a lot of people. I mean, I hear it all the time It's like, well, yeah, but you're not running, you know, a hundred person company. You're right. And then I also came from talking to high level economists and management researchers who are doing studies on those same companies. And here's what I can tell you. It's not my job to tell you exactly what to do. Right. But it's my job to say to speak to where you are on the path and give you an idea of what that path looks like from other people's perspectives. Nobody. I mean, ultimately, I mean, I love I love that idea of you've got to be going down the same path um, as me. But the truth is, no entrepreneur goes down the exact same path of any other one. Right. And so there's a limit on how much we can learn from hearing about just one other person's path and, and copying exactly what they do. It's either not going to work because it was from a different time. They did it 10 years ago and it's a different market now, or it's going to work, but you're not going to be happy because it's not true to you. Your job is to listen to as many different perspectives as you can get and figure out how that applies to you. Right. And I've, I've sort of taken it on me that you know, my job is to help you do that by giving you lots of different perspectives. So 
you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I run the zero headcount model. And so the other people that do that, there's some stuff I can tell you about how I run my business. But the true value is I can tell you what I've gotten from a variety of different perspectives and put that in a way that you can take it, apply it to your life. That's the sort of service offering that I, I give to people. Well, and David, let's, let's change uh, segments because I want to go to some of your work here. And let's go to the uh, book of the day. And I'm going to pull up on Amazon your Under New Management book. And I got to tell you, uh, the day uh, I think I bought it at, it has a date, April 26th. I bought it. It was the day I met you. Uh, I was. Oh, that was so nice of you. Well, and, and it wasn't, it actually had nothing to do with being nice. <laughs> I thought there was some real value that I could bring, and there is. And why don't you tell our fellow uh, entrepreneurs? You know, what's in that book? I mean, what caused you to write it? And then, because, I mean, there's just so many lessons in there. Uh, but g give us some perspective. Yeah, so, I mean, what, what influenced it was really this idea that there's a lot of kind of the business press is littered with a lot of uh, crazy ideas from different entrepreneurs, different companies on, on how to run their companies. Everything from, you know, unlimited vacation to total salary transparency to not having any management structure whatsoever. You know, my, my goal was really to sort of cut through the clutter and go, okay, what are the... What are the ideas that aren't just sort of fads, but actually represent a shift in the way that we're working? See, most of us, when we think about um, management, when we think about how to run a company, we're using ideas that were actually invented almost 100 years ago by a guy named Frederick Taylor. Frederick Taylor, Principles of Scientific Management, you, anybody that's gone to business school, like this is lecture number one, day number one, right? The problem is Taylor was trying to figure out how to manage a factory, a physical place, um, that would produce stuff, an assembly line, right? And, and the assumption in that was that you had two tiers of people, management and labor. Management's job was to figure out what to do. Labor's job was to not question and just do it. Most of the businesses that power our economy today don't work like that, right? We, we've switched from a physical factory to an idea factory, right? Most of us are called to, or even our employees are called to make decisions, come up with ideas, solve problems. And that requires a different style and a different sort of management. And these, the ideas that are in this book, I think represent not just kind of different ways to run a company, but different ways to run a company for the era that we're in now. As I like to joke, the future's already here, it's just not evenly dispersed. And the ideas and the companies profiled in this book are the ones that I think represent sort of where we're headed. So you can go there or not, but your talent and your most valuable people are gonna be attracted. Well, and what I loved about it, David, that was is really helpful is you, you took kind of almost a, an idea or a case and you went through in each chapter and it, it really gave me the chance like, okay, that one, you know what, I got to consider that. Oh, that's exactly what I need. No, that one's not going to fit in my business. And you could be really selective because you went deep enough to get the, you know, the mind working. And uh, most of these, not all by any means, but most of these I'd kind of heard of, mm -hmm. but you actually, you know, not only share the story, but how it was being applied and kind of raise, you know, how as a fellow entrepreneur, you might do it. And, and that was great. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, that was that was absolutely the goal, right? It couldn't just be one company doing one idea. You know, I had to see it at that hot, cool startup, but I also needed to see it at a supermarket, right? And then there needed to be, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an org psychologist by training now, there needed to be real research into human behavior that explained why this was such a good idea. Because otherwise, it's just, it's that same old, same old, here's a, here's a four box model, and if you just do this, your life will be fine. 
that's not the truth about how companies run. It's better to go, here's four or five companies that are all kind of doing different spins on the same principle, and here's the science behind the principle, and you can figure out how to best bring that to your company. Let's go to the uh, another book that you wrote that is a great book that I, I have but have not read yet. But I, I you were, you said to start with uh, the, you know, the under new management first, and I have the myth of creativity, the truth about how innovative companies and people generate great ideas. And we've kind of touched on all of that, but give us a little bit what's in the book. Yeah, so just like there's a lot of um, faulty beliefs about how we're supposed to run a, a company in 2016, around creativity and innovation, there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of misconceptions. I mean, if you think about even people who use, just use the phrase, like, I, I didn't feel inspired when it comes to creativity and innovation. They're actually relying on language that speaks to the old Greek ideas about the muses and all of that sort of thing. But then there's other stories that we tell about whether or not we have the right genetic gifting or whether or not we don't. And even stories we tell about how it's supposed to work in teams and in companies. And the goal with the myth of creativity is the stories that we tell ourselves are true even when they're not true, right? Because they become true. So we can tell ourselves a story that's not accurate and tell it enough to where we believe that story instead of the truth. And that's really the goal of this creativity is go, here's what you might believe about how creativity works. Here's what science and the experience of some of those companies that we admire, Google, Pixar, Apple, et cetera. Here's what the science shows and what the, the most innovative companies show is the actual accurate story. And if you're in that disconnect, it's time to rewrite your story and tell yourself a better one. Yeah, uh, and it, it is so important to do all this. And, you know, that's why I love it. I'm going to go to your website as a resource here because, you know, you what I, I like is you're, you're very focused on two things and uh, the website makes it very clear. How can I help you? You know, the creativity or leadership. I mean, and these are both so important. But if someone wants to reach out to you, you know, how, how, what, what are they going to see on the, the website? Yeah, so I mean, you, you spoke to it. The first thing kind of above the fold is these are the two areas that, that I kind of speak to. So how can I help? Which one are you sort of interested in? And there's a ton of resources on that. So that's, I mean, davidberkus.com is probably the best place to start. You're going to find some info about the books, but there's also free talks that are up there, the podcast, a bunch of other resources. And the goal is exactly that, like to give you sort of a plethora of information, whatever way you want to consume it. Um, and let's talk. And then from there, you know, there's a myriad of different ways to contact me. I, I, um, I have small children even that still require getting fed in the middle of the night. And so even if it's emailing me at four o'clock in the morning, although I wrote a chapter against why that's a bad idea <laughs> or Twitter or whatever it is, I'll probably respond. So it starts from there. Uh, and then we go and, and the goal, like you said, at the top of the site, how can I help? That's that's the goal. How can I help you figure this out? Whether it's leadership, whether it's innovation, uh, whether it's just trying to figure out kind of how to survive inside of a company and keep your sanity or you've taken that leap. You decided to be an entrepreneur. How do you build that? If I can help, I'd love to do it. This has been really great. And what I want to do is summarize in this next segment the, the key takeaways. And there, there's so many of these. I got a lot of notes, but uh, let me go through kind of four major areas that we talked about. And, you know, we talked about great ideas as, you know, the entrepreneur uh, and this belief the world is waiting and how important it was to have the minimum viable product or prototype, you know, and that had three components David shared with us that low bar to try and we make it easy on our customers, our clients. It gets results very quickly, it, it, whatever change or improvement we're looking to have. 
And then one that I hadn't heard uh, or I didn't pick up as much is that shareability. And, and that's really, you know, if we're going to grow exponentially, this is so critical. The second thing where he kind of flipped it around was on the employee. And, you know, you know we, some of us get overwhelmed in business as a leader. And, uh, you know, our employees come to us with all these great ideas. And it's so tempting to shut them down. And, and David talks about, you know, weighing the, you know, the, the idea and doing it in a way that we're respectful, not killing it. And, and quite honestly, it may be a great idea, too. And, what I, I love the question he asked us to ask, I'm gonna encourage, and I wrote this down and I will be doing it. I have not been doing it in the past, but what would have to be true for your idea to work? And boy, you know, let them run with it a bit. And he shared the example of Adobe with a kind of a Kickstarter box, if you will, to a thousand dollar cap and some tools to get them going. And in today's world, how powerful that is. And then we talked about great leaders. Uh, really the innovation as we scale up is not on the great big new idea. It's on the systems and supporting the people because you've got all these great talented individuals if you've hired well and you got the right people on the bus that will take it and, and gee, scaling up that incremental to do the exponential growth is really there. And then lastly, one that I'm passionate about, you know, you wouldn't be listening to this or watching this on video if you weren't a lifelong learner. And to be competitive today, we need to be. But there's a lot of fellow entrepreneurs that we think just if it isn't somebody that's walked the path in front of us and had more success than us, then it's really no value. And, and I'm with David that it's a combination. I, I love academics where there's really thoughtful research going on to examine the processes because we've all met fellow entrepreneurs who are a little full of themselves and we have to discount those, uh, you know, what they're saying and getting the rigorous empirical research uh, can be so valuable. David, I, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to encourage everybody you know, pointing to the logo aestation.com. I want you to, you know, you can get the transcript, all the links that David and I talked about. You know, I mean, this is some amazing things. You're making a big difference on innovation and leadership. Keep up the great work. And for everybody out there, your clients, your future clients are counting on you. Go make this happen. Go make a difference. Wish you the best of success. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs. AESNation.com.